Fear's either going to lock you up or it's going to tighten you up. I'm not saying go out and do ridiculous shit every day, but it's it's good to do stuff that scares you. Because if, if it scares you, that means it's just a tiny bit past what your comfort level is, and that's how you build resilience. You just get out of your comfort level a little bit. All right, everybody, welcome back to the TNQ Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Luttrell. Every week, it's my job to fire you up, to ignite the legend inside of you, and to push you to your greatness. Join me every week as I take you into my briefing room with some of the most hard-charging people on the planet. They're going to show you how to embrace the suck of life, teach you the values of working your ass off, and charge through whatever life throws at you. This is the Team Never Quit Podcast. Podcast. So buckle up, buttercup. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Team Never Quit Podcast. Today's episode is a re-release of somebody very close to us, and um, Marcus, you can take it from here. As Hunter said, welcome everybody back to the Team Never Quit Podcast. We got a special um, a release, a re-release of a show we did back in the day. One of my teammates is no longer with us, he passed away, his name was Michael Day, so this is in honor and memory of him. Brother, we love you. Rest in peace. Today we've got Mike Day on the show, whose story is crazy. Compelling. Out of this world. Yeah. It's one of those ones like, there's no way that really happened. Oh yeah, over time? That'll be no, that'll be the, one of the no way stories. Yeah. And he's still just like out there doing his thing. No problem. He tells you, that eh, wasn't a big of a deal. Yeah, like, that wasn't a, yeah. I remember when I got shot 27 times, eh, no big deal. No mm. big deal. Matter of fact, I walked it off. Yeah, it hurt. It hurt. I remember when he got shot 27 times and I had anxiety for him. So don't worry about it, Mikey. We covered down on you. <laughs> we got you. Since you don't feel bad about it, we do. It's all relative. I remember him talk, taking care of me. He was like, man, I just, how you doing? How am I doing? <laughs> Seriously? I just told you, man, like I'm a little upset about you getting shot 27 times. <laughs> Lord. I'm getting anxiety just talking to you, trying to talk to me to take care of me. Thinking about the injuries you have. That guy. Well, before we get into that interview, let's get into something we do every single week. We have listener stories, and this week our listener story is called Never Out of the Fight, and the author is Nathan. I have only recently started listening to the podcast, but it has inspired me to share what I've been through. I grew up in a family that had someone in each generation serve in the military. So at 18, I decided to join the Pennsylvania Army National Guard. I deployed to Afghanistan in 2010, and volunteering for that was the thing that changed my life. When I returned home, I went down a bad path. I started drinking every day, literally isolating myself. There were so many times between 2010 and 2016 that I just wanted to give up and not go on, carrying so much guilt and shame that it was literally tearing me apart. I got out of the Army, had a good job, yet it wasn't good enough. That's when the drugs became attractive. I finally found something that filled the void. After getting into some legal trouble in 2015, I tried getting sober. The consequences were still not bad enough. I ended up trying to kill myself in 2016 by swallowing 30 pills. I woke up two days later with my mom sitting beside me saying, I didn't know what to do. I finally put drugs and alcohol down in 2016 and have not picked anything up since. And I live by something I heard, never out of the fight. I'm finally able to look myself in the mirror and be comfortable in my own skin. 
And in the little time I've been listening to the TNQ podcast, you guys have made a huge impact on my life. And I am now working to pass along the message of never out of the fight to people like myself who thought drugs and alcohol are the solution. Thank you guys for all you have done. Nathan, that's an, that's an amazing story. Thanks for reaching out. And like so many others that travel down the path and think that drugs and alcohol and you know self-medication is the way to run away from pain and suffering and anguish, that's just not the case. And the fact that you're out there spreading the word as not only someone who's walked through the fire, which speaks volumes, you know, because there's always about, there's always that thing about relatability. I'm, how am I supposed to understand and listen to somebody who hasn't struggled like I've struggled? So you putting that out from a user experience speaks volumes to them, and it speaks volumes about you. Thank you for listening. God bless you. Yeah, brother, those lessons that we learned going through all this, I mean, they're kind of there for a reason when we step into the fire and—, and no matter what anybody tells you, the, the alcohol and the drugs, they're, they're, they're not the solution. They can be a part of it. They can help. They're in mundane times. You want to dull a little bit. But ultimately, what they do is they just prolong the inevitable. And that's you're going to have to deal with whatever it is that it's covering up. And when we go through these hard times, the, the back end of that, when, when those emotions and all that stuff's reeling through you, that's you learning and changing and kind of adapting to what you just went through. It's the body changing. And that's how you, you go from an opinion to your perspective and you, you see things differently. It's a natural part of it. All of that is. To understand that, to understand what's happening to your body as you, as you, you, know, you go through those serious physical and emotional experiences. And a lot of times people don't want to talk about that with each other. So instead of talking about it, we just kind of dull it out. Because when, the, the, when you drink or when you take the pills, it just makes that go away. But then when that stuff wears off, it, there it is, staring you right in the face. And it's not an overnight deal. Some of these traumas that a lot of people go through that take time to, to heal. And the best way to do that is around uh, our family and our friends and talk about it and let them talk to you about it. Tell you what they see and tell them what you're thinking. And there's no shame in that, opening your mouth and, and talking about whatever is on your mind and being open to uh, the response. That's the biggest thing. A lot of times when we, we talk, we're, what, what we hear back is not exactly what, what we want to hear, so we just kind of cover up. But... That's actually the most beneficial thing about having the people around us is when, when, when they're trying to tell us something and, and help us, it's to uh, open up our, our ears and our heart and close our mouth and listen, man. And you, uh, you're a shining example of that never out of the fight. Thank you for writing in, brother, and keep doing what you're doing, spreading the word. That's what it's all about. God bless you, man. All right, boys, it's that time again for another Patreon question of the day. And this one's coming to you from Rebecca Fisher. She asks you guys, what is your favorite trick you played on your brother when you were young? All right. So oh, I, you can tell the bed. Yeah. That's what I'm Okay. Yeah. That's probably the best, probably the all time. All right, that's so, absolutely the greatest one. <laughs> I was on the receiving end. Okay. Of it. You were the receiving. I was on the receiving so Marcus, end. Yeah. yeah normally. It, absolutely. I mean, we have some good ones. Uh, have you ever burned anybody with a cold iron? Uh, nope. Oh, uh, uh, we used to do that to each other. Iron in your shirts before we go out, and somebody walked by with the iron wouldn't be plugged in, and you just hit him in the chest with it. Oh. Uh, just the reaction is is, is priceless. <laughs> but you got to act like you're ironing. You got to by. Because <laughs> 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 we they would walk up, we start talking smack, so they would stop, right? And, and then we get to the point where, like, hey, you better walk on. I'm gonna hit you with this iron, and be like, whatever, and then just smash it with it. Dude. They freak out. Oh, oh yeah, oh, yeah. Hot. <laughs> you think it's hot? <laughs> think it's hot. Put some water, hot water on it, so it's just, just the natural. It's, it's hilarious. But anyways, it was after school. I think we were juniors or something in high school. And when you went up the stairs at the end, right off the stairs, if you went straight, that was my bedroom. And then the our, uh, if you went left, our bathroom. 
was there. Morgan and I shared a bathroom. And then Morgan's room was on the left, right? Well, he had this waterbed. Full, full motion. motion. Full Back motion. Back in the old days, full motion, right? Full motion waterbed. <laughs> and he was in the shower. So I, I, uh, I knock on the door for something, man. And he's like, now says something to me. I'm like, all right, whatever. <laughs> so I go in. His bed's still made. I get in and I crawl underneath the pillows. And I, I'm laying on my back. My hands are above my head. And my King, king size waterbed. King size waterbed. Okay. And remember, I, I had a little bitty back in the day. So I fit inside that thing. And my legs and my arms, even extended, I could, I wasn't even hanging outside the railing. <laughs> so I'm, I'm laying there, man, and it's got a headboard with uh, like cubby holes and stuff. And I hear him in there, man. He's getting dressed. He turns the light off, and he, he turns the covers back. He lays down. I mean, lights off, lays down. <laughs> I'm going to bed. You're going to bed. Yeah, going to bed. And uh, I mean, I'm kind of laughing, dude. I can't believe he didn't hear me, man. And I'll. And I, I lay there for a while. <laughs> I mean, I get comfy, right? And it's dark and quiet. I still kind of got that squat. It's a full motion swish, water bed, right? Swish, swish water bed. Yeah. yeah. You can hear them, the water slash against the sides. <laughs> <laughs> and then I take a deep breath. And I used to be able to scream. It's loud, like bloody I mean, murder blood scream. Blood curling, this high pitch before my voice came. Scream, right? <laughs> And I did a crunch, dude, and pulled my hands up over with the pillows and, and covered him up. And was like, ah! oh, damn, I thought Freddy Krueger had me, man. I screamed. I could not get it. Full motion water, man. They're trying to get up. It's like, really, like trying to fight in water, dude. And I got to hold it, man. And he had a hold of my head. God almighty. I'm always going to piss myself. I scared oh, me to death. Dude. And I could not get loose. I had no idea what was going on. Still didn't know. When he bucked, dude, that sent all that water over to the headboard, and I come over the top of him, and then it would go to the end of the bed. And then, it would, yeah, it's like a tidal wave. I was wrestling around in that thing, dude. Oh, my God. I was like, ah! <laughs> Funniest, dude. Oh, to this day, that is the all-time. That was a good one, man. Yeah. He, I mean, literally, he got me. Oh, my. <laughs> we still laugh about that every time we talk about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, there, there was another time with, with a buddy of ours, Tanner, and we were in college this time, and uh, he was we were showering up, fixing to go out. We we showed up to his apartment. His roommate was like, "Where's Tanner?" We knock on the door, but and he he said kind of mouths off. So we jump in his closet, right? And kind of pull the closet, and he, you hear him getting out of the shower, and he comes over and he opens up bedroom door and he's yelling into the bed into the living room where he thinks we're at. Like who's talking shit? That cool, you know all this. Yeah. He comes over, hand to God's we did. So we're and we're. Me and his buddy are looking at each other, right? And Tanner, he takes his towel off, standing naked, throws it up over his shoulder, and he's like, literally, he's flipping the shirts across. Yeah, yeah and, he, and he goes, "What am I gonna run the women in tonight?" You know, just to talk, <laughs> he's talking to himself, dude. And we reached out and grabbed his arms, and, and he fell down, leg up, like an old dog trying to lick his butt. You know, balls hanging down, dude. And he, he no, he just scratched. <laughs> 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 oh man, that's another legendary story too. Because if you guys knew Tanner, yeah, they should be on this show. Oh, uh, oh no, in Hawaii, dude, when you came running down the hallway. Yeah, that, that yeah, that was pretty epic too. But, uh, I just gotten home off a training trip, and Morgan and I lived in this uh, uh, condo, high-rise condo. It was like four stories, right? And and uh, get off the elevator, and he he was home. I, I'd been gone. Well, the trash chute was at the other end of the hallway. And I, I got my bags. I'm trying to get the key. Literally, like the hallway's like 100 yards long. Seriously, 100 yards. Wow. And uh, I'm not looking, dude. And all of a sudden, I hear this. Dude, I, I come. So he's trying to open the door. And 
the the doors aren't on the hallway. You have to like step into a little niche, right? Yeah. So like his like door frame. He can't see yeah. me coming down the hallway. And as I start, I get about fifty yards from him, and I just I'm in a dead sprint. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and I mean, I started screaming. <laughs> <laughs> and man, he dropped to a knee. Oh my god! <laughs> Had all the bags, you know, dropped all his bags. I was trying to get in that door frame, dude. I couldn't get in the door, and I was like, "Whoa!" Here we go. Do you guys think y'all could still be scared that much today if somebody did something like uh, that yeah, to you? Sure. Man, I was full, dude, the other day. So I, I back before I was married, I I lived in this little right when I got in the military, I stayed in this cabin, this little cowboy cabin. I was sleeping in one of these chairs like this for the longest time before I met Mel. Oh, is this a horse story? Yeah. Oh Jesus. And when my mom's Cat, she had a lot of cat, right, it was a, the gap between them, probably about 40, 30 feet maybe. Well, it was pitch black, no moon, no nothing. And I walk out in the middle of the night, 3 a.m. I walk into her house to get something to eat. So I turn the lights on. So my night vision goes away. Well, I hear something hit outside of the house. And I come walking out, man, and I can't see anything, <laughs> dude. I turn the lights off with my vision, and I run into something. And it hits me, and I fall back on the ground. And then this, whatever it was, hit the ground. And it, and it gets up and hauls ass. <laughs> but but, but literally decleats him. Yeah, like, it takes me down. Off his boom, feet. Off I couldn't see anything. Like, like, like a ghost, something hit me, dude. <laughs> Bigfoot. <laughs> yeah, I just got out of steel teams, man. I, you know, I, we lived out in the middle of nowhere, too. Right? And I... I go to I get my gun and flashlight and walk around. We had this old mare. My mom would let walk around. Old, so old that she'd be standing up. She'd have a heart attack, fall over, hit the ground, and start her heart again. She'd get back up. All right. <laughs> so she was sleeping. She fell asleep or, and passed out and fell against the house. She was leaning against the house. That's what I heard. Hit That's the outside. Yes, yeah, yeah. she was <clears throat> sleeping again. And I, when I walk in, I woke her up and scared her. And she kicked me backwards and I hit the ground, dude. He, I, like, he like walked right into her butt. Right into her oh. butt. <laughs> <laughs> And she kind of nudged and dude knocked me back, couldn't tripped over the steps. And then uh <laughs> so uh we have there's a dog, we have a dog here that looks it's uh it looks like a uh a black bear. It's about the size of a black bear. I mean, it's a hundred and oh you're talking about Drago? Drago, yeah. Oh yeah. And big old black fur. He looks like a baby brown black. He looks like a baby black bear, and he runs like one too. Because when he's running, his, bat, his butt comes around, and he's he, he, kind of hops. Well, every now and again, and this happened to Mojo. Oh yeah, <laughs> it happened to me. And then he comes in the house a few weeks later. And he's like, "Hey man, I don't know if anybody's had this happen to him, but I was out there putting the trash out, and all of a sudden I hear something. I look over behind me, and there's a black bear running. That at little me. bastard come running around the truck. <laughs> you did not. I, I had no idea they had a dog like this. <laughs> Dude, I dropped down into a karate stance. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I don't know what that's going to do to a bear, but he had me, man. And nobody was out there but me, luckily. Come on! Come on! <laughs> He's just like, what? Oh, What's he's up? just a puppy. What's up? You know? He's just a puppy. Because he jumps up like a bear. He does. And he's like, dude. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, it scared the hell out of me, though. Not as bad as that water bed, but it scared the piss out Oh, my gosh. Rebecca, I think that, that plenty answers your question. Thanks for asking that to us. Going down now. And uh, if you want to ever ask a question like that, you know, feel free to you know, join us on Patreon where you get access to these Patreon questions of the day. If you want exclusive access to show and bonus behind the scenes content, you're going to head with, head over to patreon.com slash team never quit. And that's where we're going to have bonus photos. Like this last, this couple weeks ago, we posted a, a bonus episode of 
Dan Luna's wife, Leslie Luna, we posted a photo of Aaron Kendall's hand. There's a lot of really cool bonus content over on Patreon, so join us. Patreon.com slash Team Never Quit. Yeah, it's not a Halloween prop. It's actually Kendall's It's a real hand. hand. So check it out. My brother and I used to have this. We still do it to each other every now and again, but when we were younger, it was worse. So we're walking down, in college especially, we're walking down the hallway, like the history building, and it'll be a Coke machine or a little elevator niche or something the like hallway. that. But, and somebody in front of us. Step, if you're not paying attention, man, I'm going to step back and be like, hey, crazy old bastard, and like jump behind the Coke machine, and you're the only one standing there. Just look, and they turn around and look at you like, would you call me? I, I mean, it's not a scare tactic, it, it but... It gets you, a little bit more dude, articulate. Yeah, and, and it gets a little more flavorful. <laughs> flavorful. <laughs> you yeah. need your imagination. Hey! Oh, dude. <laughs> that time in the history building, you got Oh, me. that was excellent, dude. That's great. Well, I humbly uh, submit myself as an example. Because I'm definitely not somebody who needs to be giving advice. <laughs> I'll get you in trouble. But I got—I guess we'll tell the war story. I mean, uh, the Luttrells are, got a bunch of great war stories, and, and that's pretty much why. I mean, the only reason anybody knows me is because I got shot so many times. Uh, so I guess we'll talk about that. I mean, uh, at one point in there, I actually I, I quit for a brief second. I was like, maybe I can play possum, and they'll just go away. <laughs> and, I, and I realized that that wasn't going to happen. And then I get really mad and I went back to work. It is an amazing war story. And you I mean, shit, I was there and I don't believe it. I almost can't even trust my own memories. And that I believe I can remember the whole thing, except for the point when I was knocked out by the grenade blast. All right. Let's, uh, I, I, that's the craziest thing because I, I don't mean to real man, but I, I couldn't believe it either. And we were there, not on the, but we were in theater when that went down, just hearing the report of how that went down. So to, to, just to get a timeline going, this was in 2007. And we were, uh, those of us, we were stationed in Iraq. Mojo and I were in Ramadi, and you were in, were you in Havania? No, I was in Fallujah. Fallujah, that's right. Well, you know what? I remember running into Marcus, because it was after he got all banged up, and he actually came back on deployment. Yep. And we were dropping guys off. I had been there for, like, maybe a week and a half, two weeks, and we were dropping off the guys that we were turning over with. We got IED twice on the way to the airport, and... I think it was a Team 5 dude, man. He got through the whole deployment on skates, uh, a piece of shra- a big-ass piece of shrapnel cut through the through the 113 and keyholed him right through the side of his body armor, just missed all the body armor, and he got his purple heart on the way out the door. That that was that's probably the hard that deployment as far as team guys and you want to go in and and, and get in the theater and do something that oh six oh seven deployment was unbelievable. I mean, we had eighteen guys yeah. that we walked out there with. Fourteen of them got wounded while we were out, and we ripped team three. So Chris Kyle, uh, Mark Lee, and all those guys those were the ones that were in there before us, and then we came in after. And then a turnover, yeah. out, which is basically what happens is there's a platoon that's in country for a while running operations. And then when the new one comes in to relieve them, it's called turnover. So we actually integrate a little bit for a week or two or however many days we need to to kind of get their battle rhythm going. So usually 
to explain this a little bit better, that when most platoons or units take their hit, it's probably going to be in the first part or in the last part. Because in the first part, they're still trying to get their battle rhythm, and at the last part, they're, they're ready to go home, right? So they're not really... It's it's a it's a funny paradigm shift, if you will, just in the mind. Well, it's weird. Yeah, it is. It's like weird, weird quantum physics. Because mine was a turnover op. We were we were turning over with, uh, and a lot of people might know who Jay Redmond is. That was he was the OIC of the one of the platoons in that task unit that was coming out, or troop that was coming out, and uh, they replaced us. And then Jay got all messed up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you guys were out west. Marcus was out west in Ramadi area when I was in Fallujah. And uh yeah, I mean there there's another person, Jocko. I think Jocko was the Yeah, he the was the commander. That's right, he was, yeah. Out there. But I mean we were doing a whole lot of different things. You guys were doing like daytime patrols and stuff like that. I wasn't doing that. <laughs> I was I I was making sure people were asleep before I went after them. It was a lot safer. Apparently not. Yeah, right. All right. So what basic gist on the operation, what were you guys going out there to do? A lot of crazy things about it and I, I actually got it in the book too but you know a guy in my platoon one of the officers was at the academy with one of the women that was one of the pilots that got shot down by the al-qaeda cell that we were going after they had shot down four helicopters but that was like a crazy connection you know that that woman lived across the hall from him at the academy and uh she was one of the pilots of the four helicopters that we knew of that they, they had shot down so that's that's why we were going after them because they were just shooting birds out of the sky. Mm-hmm. And they all happened to be from the same squadron. It was a medevac. It was a medevac squadron, which is, for people listening, uh, they're just a bunch of doctors and stuff. We're not the pilots. They come in and they get us when we get banged up. And they fly us to the hospital to save us. Usually not very well armed. But this particular group had shot down for us. So that's why we went after them. We did a vehicle born about three nights prior to the actual event uh, when I got all shot up and we got IED on the way in. And the only way I can explain is that the, the, the trigger expired. It, it evaporated. We knew after we hit that IED, the reason why we were going after them uh, went away. So we couldn't do anything other than come back. And then we got a helicopter and came back three nights later, go up to the same target. And, uh, uh, so we, we patrolled in, we got dropped off a few kilometers away, patrolled in. It was like a wine vineyard. There was grapes. It was weird. But in Iraq, I didn't even know they grew grapes in Iraq. Right. You guys were out, out away from town, right? Yeah. So we, uh, Fallujah, the city is not actually where Camp Fallujah is. Camp Fallujah is actually out of the city. And we were Northeast. This actual operation was northeast of Fallujah, and ironically, the name of the city was Karma, Al Karma. <laughs> so we went in there, and uh, uh, we we had a we had a pattern of life, and we knew we had to hit uh, what we wanted to do was hit five different structures in close proximity. And on our on our approach, on our foot approach, uh, over at Astis told us, "Hey, people are jabbering down there. We can't tell if they know." No, you're there, or this, this operation over here, because when uh, when you're out there, I, I'm sure Afghanistan was different. Everything was a little bit more spread out. Uh, but when we went out, there there might be three different operations, four different operations going on, and all utilizing kind of the same assets, or at least sharing some of them. And they told us that they knew where we were there, 
So we decided, well, we'll just hit the primary one, the one that has the uh, the highest hits on pattern alive, and and that's what we did. You know, standard SEAL team operations. I mean, a DA is a DA. You, uh, seek the seeds, flow. We just got up there. We did uh, did what we did so many times before, thousands of times before. And uh, I went up going into a room with four dudes that uh, I think we woke up just you know, maybe 15 seconds earlier. They just beat me to the trigger. Now, now, just to give a little more detail, how many guys were y'all running in there with? Um, okay. So again, this is a turnover. There was 22 of us and, uh, we had to thin out a lot more things when we did teleboard operations. Right. Um, it was actually easy to do the vehicle ones, but it was safer to fly around in a helicopter. Quite honestly, the, the, and you guys know this, the, the worst part about being over there is not actually doing the op. It's getting to and from. Mm-hmm. That's where you get all messed up. Yeah. So, did you guys do an explosive entry? Or did you go in quiet? Uh, well, that that was something that I uh, that we learned early on. We blew a lot of shit up when we first got there. Right. I mean, we all carried slap charges on our legs. We were all breachers. It's a little bit different now. Everybody was blowing shit up, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, that just draws fire. It's amazing. It's amazing how many doors, if you just try to turn the doorknob, how many of them are actually open. <laughs> and what's the fun in that? But on this one, we, uh, uh, the breach team went up and Clark went up. Clark was the, uh, the lead, the lead breacher on this op amongst a lot of other things. He actually, he got killed on this operation and, uh, they breached the door and, you know, people, Take things for granted. I mean, they come into a house in the United States. A door in a room means something. It means they go somewhere else. When you when you go into a room in Afghanistan or Iraq, it might not go anywhere else. So that's what we had. And I was the MSD guy in case they had to go explosive. Because we tried to stay quiet. When you blow stuff up, like I said, people wake up and they want to start shooting at you. The neighbors. It's like a block party. Right. It's like ringing a doorbell in everybody's house. Yeah. Yeah. They all wake up and they want, everybody wants to see what's going on. And some of them have AK-47s. That's like everybody. It's, it's pretty amazing what they had been conditioned to. You know, like my first deployment, Tyrath, I thought the barking dogs that were trailing us would cause problems and we would try to shoot them to chase them off. And it's really hard to kill a dog uh, with one shot. And it makes a different noise. But their condition to a pack of 40 dogs running around. Well, I've walked through suburban areas in Iraq with 40 dogs barking at me and nobody wakes up. I have blown doors and houses in Iraq and two doors deep, there's still people sleeping. It's incredible. Hey, uh, yeah, human body, man, it'll, it'll learn how to survive and try to get some kind of normal condition in any environment. So you guys blew the door. Where, where were you at in the train? Well, we didn't blow the door. I'm so sorry, they, that's right. They yeah. went into it. They mechanically breached the door. They, I think they, they used a holy. They popped the door. They didn't go anywhere. Uh, came across comms, a short room, which at the time, you know, that verbiage changes. That meant there was nowhere else to go. So I was on another door, so I popped that one. I just donkey kicked it, opened up to a small foyer. I went in there. There's two doors in that room with a small lantern and just a pilot slip. But we're all on nods. And this is a, a group. I was just the MSD guy to keep the. We didn't teach the Iraqis how to blow stuff, and we didn't teach them glass. So it was it was kind of an accident that I was 
being number one going in because we had trained these guys to the point where they trusted us and they, and we trusted them enough to be safe enough to be the ones that actually did the clearance. Because for the first three months, they just watched us. It was hard to train those people. The first 50 dudes we got that got off the bus and their man, man dresses and flip-flops, we told them to do 10 push-ups. 40 of them quit. <laughs> they just quit. They wouldn't even get down and do a, a single push-up. They just thought we were going to hand them money. Remarkable. I popped that. I got in there, and, and the train didn't split. And Clark had been the lead breacher in that other room. So he had to come all the way out of the other room that he just cleared through. And it, wasn't a, it wasn't too far of a distance, but he came through. And he saw that I wasn't going because I had another door. And the train needed to split, and we needed to go Simo on the doors because they were like right next to each other on different walls. He came back in and he popped his head in the door and he saw what was going on. And, uh, he's the one that got the thing rolling again. He came up, we gave a barrel wave. We both, uh, just front kicked our doors. They were flimsy little doors. Mine was a, a right corner fed room. My door bounced off the right wall. The right wall was clear. I took a left hand turn and they just started shooting at me. I lost my rifle. Uh, I mean, I was, I mean, I, I was, my finger was in the trigger well and I was off and I was off safe and they still beat me. How many were in there? Four. Can you kind of describe the setup of the room with it? What you walked into? Yeah, it's a 12 by 12. Well, we'll call it a square room. Maybe the dimensions might be a little bit different. Uh, square, but it's small. And the only thing in the room was these four dudes in bedrolls. And if you read my citations, it's it's amazing that 20 people can see the same thing and see something totally different. Yeah. Was there a point in time that when those rounds started hitting, because you got, you got shot 27 times, 11 in the armor, 16 in the body, were the first ones the most painful or the last ones? <laughs> I, uh, I can't answer that uh, because I can't separate it. It's all the same pain. Because they were hitting you while you were on the ground too, right? When I got in the uh, when I got into the room, uh, I'm telling you, um, I came off my pivot foot, and that's when they started hitting me. And I, I mean, everything just stopped. And I've had this. I've had this thing happen to me ever since I was a kid. In very high stress situations where 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 death would be imminent or could be imminent, time slows down for me, and that's what happened in this room. I mean, it was. I mean, I had full conversations with myself. Literally from the time I, I dropped my right foot in that room to the time I hit the ground to the first guy that I killed, might have been five seconds. It seemed like minutes to me. I got in that room. I started getting hit. I was like, am I getting hit? My legs are coming out from uh, underneath me at this point. I dropped my rifle because it fucking hurt so bad. I transitioned to my pistol, which... A lot of guys don't wear this stuff like I do. I wear a drop I wear a drop holster. It, it's uncomfortable to run around with, but it's that's where it's comfortable for me. And I transitioned to my pistol as my legs were coming out with from underneath me. Having a conversation with myself. I mean, I literally asked myself, "Am I getting shot?" What'd you say? <laughs> I, I had to answer that question because it, it just felt like people beating the hell out of me with sledgehammers. But all this was automatic. You know, the rifle, I lost it. Uh, later found out that I walked around with that thing uh, hanging around my neck. I thought the sling got shot off. When I transitioned to my pistol, I killed the dude down the, down the left wall as I was falling towards him, having this conversation with myself. 
in this matrix matrix like scenario. I mean, I was seeing bullet I was seeing vapor trails off of bullets. I was watching bullets spin. I was watching them impact. I put five five or six rounds in, into the dude down the left wall that was shooting at me with a fucking M4 uh, with my pistol. And uh, I landed right next to him. I watched him die. I watched the life leave his eyes. I knew he was dead. It was four months for me to figure out that, that this next event happened. I, uh, a dude stood up and he pulled a pin on the grenade and he was running out of the room. He was going to blow himself up in the train out in the hallway, oh. out in the foyer. I won't say his last name, but he, you know, he's still, he's still in, he's got a pretty good business going for medical stuff. Uh, but he was the platoon chief that was, uh, turning over with me and he raked the window to see what was going on in the room. And he saw me shoot the dude, but nobody actually, nobody saw me go in the room, but Iraqis are Iraqi scouts. He saw the guy get shot in the head. He didn't know where it came from. He saw the guy drop the grenade, blow up, and he caught a bunch of frag in his face from the window. All the glass that blew in his face. I guess and at that point, I'm unconscious. So you got to push back a little bit. And so Clark, who breached the initial room, went into another room, caught around in the back of the neck. It, it popped his, uh, one of those, what is that in your neck? That, uh, it artery. artery. It just sliced it. It was. That was a, that, that round went through the wall and hit him? No. Or was there somebody in the room with him? No, it went through both doorways. Yeah. Okay. All right, well, then, then what happened? Well, they tried to get in the room uh, when I was unconscious from the grenade blast. And they came up over comms to find out status. I was unconscious. And they couldn't get in the room because there were still two dudes in there with AKs sawing out the door jam. So they decided to fall back, and they were going to use... Uh, we had a Spectre gunship. Somebody called them in? Yeah, they had, they, had, they had it all... They had it prepped. They were just trying to fulfill all the requirements, which they couldn't fulfill because they didn't fall head count. They were down, uh, I think they were down five. Myself, three scouts had gotten to the back of the house, Clark. We had one scout that was killed trying to follow me in the room. Take it down, buddy. My number two guy got shot in the chest, and uh, his body armor saved him. It just kind of, it just pushed him back out of the room, just knocked him out of the room. And the number three guy followed for some reason and died in the doorway. So anybody that had any sense when they came in thought that that was the number one guy that thought he just got killed in the doorway. But after they decided that they couldn't get in there and nobody was responding on comms, they pulled back to minimum safe distance to whatever they were going to drop and they were trying to get the head count. But as, as they were falling back, I woke up and that's where I, I, I thought I was good. That, that I said I was going to play possum. Because I woke up and there was two guys on the other side of the room shooting AKs, AKs over top of me through the window at the guys that were leaving, and uh, I reengaged them. And I ran a magazine dry, and went and did a magazine change. And I installed my left side against the first dude I killed him by the window, and uh, I got those rounds off. I think because I thought I was dead because I've got holes in me that uh, make me believe that when I was unconscious they stuck a stuck the pistol in my body armor and shot a couple rounds in my back and I got a couple rounds in my ass which I got a funny story about I just got one a bullet I got shot in the ass with oh really traveled over my hip all through all the way through my stomach and I had something in my stomach and I had some of our boys cut it out for me I got 
pretty funny video of it. Uh, but I got shot in the ass with a nine mil, traveled over my hip, migrated all the way to my stomach, and now I'm wearing it around my neck. <laughs> of course you are. So I ran that magazine dry, uh, did the magazine change. They realized I was still alive and they re-engaged me, which is pretty good, I guess, because one of the guys outside, he took a round to the arm. So I drew their attention. And uh, here's another crazy part. A round went through its foot of the magazine, blew the hand grips off the magazine, off the pistol. I could feel the springs in my in the palms of my hands. And I cleared the malfunction and I killed those two dudes. That's amazing, brother. You should get free cigs for life. So I got up on my on my hands and knees after I shot everybody a couple more times and changed my rental <laughs> magazine change. <laughs> yeah, so that's a that's a terrible camera. It took me what thirty rounds to kill four dudes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anybody's gonna give you a hard time for that, well, buddy. Yeah, uh, that's kind of the glasses half full way of looking at that, brother. I, I uh, when it comes to immediate action drills and we're <laughs> doing a, a full rattle battle, that was uh. Like you said, man, you have the ability to slow down time. And I'm a terrible pistol shot. Terrible. <laughs> I am too. It's a good thing you got a lot of rounds. <laughs> You've been better I'm off terrible. beating them dudes to death with that pistol instead of shooting at them. <laughs> oh, God. I, I, I was working on that. After I, it, I was pretty angry. God, I bet. So you're making your, so you're on your hands and knees crawling out, making your way to the door? Yeah, so after, after all that stuff went away and that was another crazy thing. I had complete auditory exclusion. Mm-hmm. I didn't hear any of that. Hundreds of rounds were fired in that room. Hundreds. I get up on my hands and knees, and I asked for status in the house, and one of those three Iraqi scouts came back in, and he told me uh, what was going on. He told me that Clark was dead. He uh, you know, he gave me a Hutch report. I think they called it a slant now. Um, you date yourself when you start coming up with stuff like that. Right. Hutch report. But that uh, Hutz reported hostages, uh, unknowns. Tangos. Tangos. What, is, what are the tangos? Seals. Hostages, tangos unknowns, target. No. Tangos and seals, right? Seals. As the seals. Tangos are uh, the terrorists. And he, he, gave, he gave that to me, let me know Clark was dead. I got up, I started walking around the house. I put him on the front door. I told him, don't let anybody come to that front door. Just kill him if anybody comes to that front door. I got back, I found Clark, and there was that's where the women and children were. Clark was gone with a big smile on his face, like always. <laughs> and uh, the women and children were screaming, and uh, I got them to quiet down. I got deeper in the house, I found my other two scouts, and they were holding on to the detainees. I checked. I checked the flex cuffs on those, left one there, brought one out to watch the women and children, and then I tried to make columns. And uh, that's when I found out that my radio was destroyed. I had to take Clark's radio off of him. And I changed out the columns. I went back into the other room, and I sat in a different place than where I had been in the gunfight. And I don't think the guys understood that I had been up walking around by the time they got there. So I switched out the I switched out the radios, and uh, I called them in. And Jimbo, I can't say his last name because he's still active duty, but it's, that's the best seal I've ever met. He's pretty good at everything. So I got a hold of those guys, uh, called them back up, deconflicted the front door, let the guy know that hey, don't shoot them, they're coming in. 
and then I came in and I knew I'd been shot, but I didn't know. I, I didn't think I was bad until I saw the guys look at me. When I, when I saw them look at me, you know, that holy shit look, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> and that's what I did. Like all of them, not just like one or two of them. It was like all of them. Holy shit. Look at that. Hey bro, man, you want to sit down? <laughs> oh shit, dude. They, they did actually, like I said, they didn't realize that I was in a different spot. They didn't know that I'd been up walking around where I had been laying. They said <laughs> there was like a, a silhouette of bullet holes up against the wall. Sure. Yeah. Like Pulp Fiction. 27 rounds hit. You got hit by 27 rounds, but how many went through? 16. 16 stung you? Man. Well, it's 16 to the body and 11 to the body armor. So I had one that uh, went clean through my left eye. I had one that went through, uh, clean through my scrotum, separated my best efforts. Didn't, didn't break anything. One of my nuts is a little square. I had one go in my lower right leg and it ran all the way up my, uh, and it came out my upper right thigh. They're pretty amazed at that one because it didn't, didn't hit the femoral hit the femur or, or didn't pop the femoral. It should have. 99.9% of the time that would have popped them somewhere. And that's an AK-47 around inside of 10 feet. They got hit in the stomach right up underneath my body. That went through um, my bladder. I had a stint in my bladder. It went to my, I lost about a foot of intestine. I had a colostomy bag for about a year. It went through my rectum. Four rounds in my upper left arm. And my bicep didn't hit bone. Uh, my left thumb was almost amputated. At the middle joint, at three, my upper right arm. I had two go through my scapula, shatter my scapula. I had a pretty nasty exit wound out of my right armpit. Got shot twice in the ass. And quite honestly, the ones that hit the body armor hurt worse. I broke ribs. I had a contusion on my right lung. When I called the guys in and they took my body armor off, they found the two bullet holes in my back. And when I actually called them up, I told them I had to hurry up because I couldn't breathe. And I thought I had a sucking chest wound. Luckily, I didn't. Man, bro, you just had a rough day. <sighs> Character building day. That was easy. <laughs> Man, I tell you what, Mojo and I were up at group one time after we had gotten, all of us had gotten back and your your body armor was in there. Remember it was in that box in the skipper's? In, in, in his office? Yeah, that was after a ceremony. Yeah. God dang, man. I, think... Which I don't know if you remember that or not, but I was at your your ceremony when you got when you came back in. Yeah. They made me do that. I didn't want to do that. How, that, <laughs> that was going to be one of my next questions. What was it like on the return once you got back in? Because you know, it took you, two, two, what, two years after that night to get back up on step? Uh, I mean, it depends on how, how, how you look at it. Um, I got all the way to suicidal. I mean, you can, you can, you can apply that to that. I would say the most significant part of my life was working at the care coalition and watching all the things and that people use for treatment and uh, and all the. Uh, I mean, health care is a fucking train wreck right now. Uh, that was one thing I, I always I, I, I so admired about you, but I couldn't believe it because for all the listeners out there, Mike was my care coalition provider when I got pulled out of uh, out of country. I was a way better social worker than I was a SEAL. Well, I couldn't, man, because you were, honestly, every time time we would talk or every time we were together, you were always concerned about me and how I was doing, which was, I was like, buddy, I was like, mine, I was like, you got shot. What are you talking about? I (laughs) couldn't believe you felt sorry for me. And I was sitting there looking at you. I'm like, bro, I cannot believe. Yeah, I mean, you couldn't have wound up in a better place (laughs) being an advocate for guys who go through some hard times because you've went through the 
the mere fact that you had to go through all that and stood back up and go back in, that's not something that you have to take every single day, man. That's something you can take. Guys see that, and then you giving back and still an operational frogman. That's that's amazing, man. That's if if you're searching for any reason why God kept you around, it's to motivate anybody and everybody underneath you. Because there's not too many people walking around have been shot that many times that that have a smile on their face. That's cool for me because everybody else is trying to prove something. I I literally that event gave me. I will show all my vulnerabilities. I've had a couple of people call me pussies. I just kind of laugh at them. <laughs> yeah, what exactly? Uh, but uh, but you guys, you guys healed me. That job, that job healed me. It was it was hard. It got to the point where I couldn't do it anymore. It's hard being around trauma all the time. Ah. But I'm actually drawn. I'm actually drawn to it. The people I'm drawn to are the ones that have suffered the most and kind of figured it out. You can't really say figured it out because it's like an ongoing process. It changes. It's ideas change, you know, I tell you what, when you were, when I was hanging around you, I had no problems. No matter what I was going, I was like, man, you know, I hell ain't a way in hell. I'm going to bitch and complain standing next to a guy that has been through everything you've been through. And you're, you're sitting there shouldering all my problems as well as your own with a smile on your face. You got a gift, my friend. Yeah. I, I, I drew strength from everybody else too. I mean, they should look at guys like Taylor Morris. Dude's a quad amp. I'm sure that guy has bad bad days. I've never seen one. All right. <laughs> or 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 Dan Kenawson. Yeah. That guy dude, he's a force of nature. I mean and, and people can look at him and they can all they can see is that he's a he's a double amputee above the knee. Mm-hmm. They have no idea what other what other shit he deals with. They can't even comprehend it. Well, that's the best part about having the teams and everybody around us, man. And you, you see the guys like yourself that say you're not exceptional, but the the thing that you went through and the trauma that you had to experience was. So that I, that's how that, that that's how you get identified as somebody who can help others just by the reality of you going through it. Because we're all basically the same. It's how much time and effort you put into honing in all your skills and, and trying to experience life. If you look at it, there are no good and bad times. It's just the times and how well-trained you are for them and when they show up. And stepping into that, it, it molds you. It's that character builder, man. You can't get it without without going through the tribulation, the hard times. It teaches you yeah, what, what you can appreciate. And just by sticking around and passing that down to all of us going through it, it's it creates that circle, man. It's like, I don't have to worry about my problems. I'm going to worry about yours. Yeah, it makes it all right, you know? Makes it all right. Well, but we also got to be careful too, not to uh, trauma to different people is different things. You, know, you can't really put that on a scale of yours is worse than mine because that's that was something that I saw. I mean, you've even said it in this conversation. Your trauma and your emotions, you can't let them be diminished because somebody else has got a worse deal. But there does have to come a point that if you're allowing yourself to be a victim, for too long. Everybody always says, never quit. Shit, I've quit a lot of shit. I just went back to it later on. So you didn't really quit, you just kind of postponed it for a second or two. Nah, well, I say the same thing, man. It's like We say never quit all the time because all the situations we're in are tough. And you're like, man, I should probably quit this. This is ridiculous. But that's why we say that. And then 
the lessons come through that. It's it's going to be tough, and then the rewards come in the beginning or on the back end or through the whole thing. And the more willingness you put out to stand in those situations, sharpen you. We're all blades, and everybody around you is a stone. They're either going to sharpen you, polish you, or dull you out. That's that's a fact right there. Yeah, and it's kind of <laughs> one of those deals when you go in there and you, you get sharpened up by the situation, and then you go out and you explain it and how you went through it, man, and that, that kind of polishes everything around you. So you can see it when it's coming back in. And also knowing that everything you that you come into contact with on the way up, man, if it can't do what that did to you, then you shouldn't have to worry about it. It's like a level of pain and experience and trauma that you survived. And that's not, that's that's your that's what you're capable of handling. And then everything else falls underneath it. I mean, we all have that freak out point. And when everything falls apart, we start to freak out. And then we have the point to where, where everything's fine and we're calm. The trick is putting the distance between the two of those. And the only way you can do that is through life experiences. And you do that remarkably well, brother. Oh, I mean, lots of people do. I mean, we have, everybody's trying to figure out how to build resiliency. And they underestimate the resiliency they have. And they, they see shit around them all the time. They're like, there's no way. They see a situation. They're like, there's no way I, I could do that like that person did. Oh, that person did it because they had to. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know what? It's going to go one or two ways. It's either going to break you or it's, it is. It will make you stronger. Shit, we're humans. We don't even know why we do the things we do. Self-awareness doesn't come to everybody. No, it doesn't. So how are you doing? I mean, after all of this, I know it's been 12 years now. How, how's Mike doing now? I'm having fun. I feel joy. I, uh, I'm getting better at getting rid of things in my, in my life that don't serve me. Uh, I think more than anything else that I've never done before, I'm doing stuff for myself as opposed to doing it for everybody else around me. Mm-hmm. It's good to start there. Yeah, we spend the first part of it kind of figuring that all out. I mean, the first 40 years of it, you're trying to figure out the man that you're not. After you obtain that, then you kind of start over through the halfway point and, and push in a different direction, just taking all that knowledge with you. Oh, shit, I didn't discover my ignorance until about five, six years ago. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I mean, we don't have any idea if tomorrow's going to show up or not. You just don't. So imagine your life is like a video game that you get to start over every morning. Only thing is, is you get to keep all your experiences and all your tools that you had the previous day. And then you wake up yeah, in the morning and try and live that one out and, and go further than you did the day before. Learn a little bit more. And then go to bed and hit the reset button and start over. Fresh day. Probably one of the biggest problems that, that I've had in my life was, was my childhood. And it, it's funny how that kind of sneaks up with you. But it's when you start to understand that and have the awareness of how you were brought up, you can almost predict your behaviors. Kind of figure out why you do things you do. I mean, we, I look at society now, it's so mindless. It's a bunch of lemmings. It's, it's so easy to see. So nice not watching TV. I'm so much happier. <laughs> to get away from all that programming and everything that's going on nowadays. Oh, well, it makes you feel like there's something always bad going on all the time. That's what that 24-hour cycle in, in reality is just most of that stuff doesn't even have to do with where you're at. I mean, you're talking about people losing, like the younger generation kind of losing their identities. They're not claiming to be anything. Basically, yeah. autonomous is AI, is that phone that they're on. It doesn't really have a personality or anything like that. It just exists. And the only reason it exists is because of us. 
the identities are unique in, in what and who you are. And that's what life's supposed to do is show you that. If you, you don't want to be anything or, or be called anything, or it's just nothingness, really. Do you have a family history of military service? Did your mom and dad push this on you, or do you, brothers and sisters? Where did this all start? Uh, yeah, my father was a, uh, what do they call those things? Those 53 the horses. He was, a, he was a mechanic, a helicopter mechanic. Oh, AE? Yeah, but he was he was medically retired. I was about 12 years old, 11, 12 years old. He was medically retired with schizophrenia. <laughs> you heard me say the SEAL teams are easy for me. You said with schizophrenia? Yeah, that event where I got all shot up was more traumatic to people around me than it was to me. <laughs> that, that didn't even bother me. <laughs> I got lucky. I only had two bones hit. It was just a hindrance to me. It just slowed me down. I grew up in a very violent house. Yeah, he was medically retired with schizophrenia. Damn. You got any brothers or sisters? Yeah. From the initial marriage, uh, I had a brother uh, from the second marriage. My father's second marriage, they had a brother and a sister. Now, one of my brother from that marriage was actually in the SEAL teams. He was a good SEAL, sniper, breacher, did a bunch of combat deployments. Uh, I think he was at two. Um, my mother had two boys. One of those boys was uh, went to the Coast Guard, and he was a safety swimmer. And the first the first duty station he took was out in, in uh, Kodiak. Oh. <laughs> Whoa. As a safety swimmer. Yeah, you know, that, that'd be hard for one of us. And the other one was in the Navy. I, I, don't, I don't know what he did in the Navy. And so there's, there's a bunch of military in the family. I got an extended family from a couple of divorces. So what's what's up with your book, man? Tell us a little bit about that. Well, the idea I'm I'm trying to get across. Well, honestly, nobody would actually listen to me if I didn't get shot so many times. Well, you did get shot that many times, so now everyone is listening. So what do you got to say? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm grateful for it. It could have been a lot worse. I took 27 rounds on those dudes that took one round and that aren't here or have way worse injuries than I ever had. A care collection job was that was the most significant part of my life. I really liked that job. Well, you were damn good at it. At least you, you were with me. I can't even remember what question you just asked. Oh, just about the book and how that's looking, what's going on with that. Oh, yeah. So um, where we are right now is uh, I actually had a pretty popular author uh, that, that I fired because they were trying to steal from me. Terrible business out there. People will just try to rape you if you let them walk all over you. But I got rid of that co-author and my agent, so they kind of pushed it back. So I'm working with a different co-author. I think we got a pretty good product. Uh, I just sent my manuscript to the uh, publisher to see what their suggestions are and their feedback. Uh, so I'm getting ready to get through that part, and then I'll send it to the DOD for the approval process, like Marcus did. Yep. And uh, yeah, I already talked to Warcom. I think they're going to help you know help me out. Usually goes to Pentagon. Like, okay, where's the mothership is where this dude work? It's gonna go to work on so it's an air it go faster. And then uh I'm hoping to be ready for pre sale here shortly. Maybe in another inside of the next two months. Oh sweet. So around the holidays. Because we'll definitely push it yeah, and, and uh and 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 help you out here in any way we can. What uh how else can people follow you or find you or, or get any uh any information, pearls of wisdom from you? I haven't really set up any of that. My social media is a mess, but 
Instagram, on social media. I haven't set up anything professional. It's just random crap that I throw on there that people might find interesting. My name is Mike Day. <laughs> I'll friend you. I'll friend you on Facebook or Instagram. And when I have information that's worth passing, I'll pass it. Well, you've got a life full of it, brother. I mean, as, and, and this is just kind of how, just like you had to get your battle rhythm when you were in the teams, you got hurt, you had to redo that. This is the same thing. I mean, the the best part about having Warcom, and I mean, that's, you know, that's the head shed, that's the family. They, they watch, when you allow them to watch out for you, they do. Man, it was so beneficial. Well, my whole life, anytime I ever did anything, it was always routed through them. So I, any of the guys who are yeah. getting into that right now, that's the first thing I tell them, man, is always use the community to help you, not try and get away from it and any, any of the guys that say they did all this without the community are the ones that usually now the seal teams were such an important part of my life i mean the guys don't know it i mean i, I guess i can say here since it's going to be in the book but three months before i took the job going back to teach the military free fall and then later because of prior injuries and in that gunfight i had to leave because i had three cutaways because <laughs> <laughs> i couldn't because my arm wouldn't work uh ripped my peck off my uh my peck completely ripped off. I had a slap tear from a, a reserve parachute deployment at terminal. It just, man, it just popped my, my pack out of my arm. So after that happened, I went back to teaching CQC in South, which was interesting. That's close quarters combat. That's how we clear houses. And South is uh, special operations urban combat and how we move through cities and stuff. And it was kind of ironic that I'm teaching guys the same TTPs, the training, the the tactics that that I used when I was in the SEAL teams active and what we're using now to counter what happened to me. It was, it was interesting. It was, those guys don't know how much they actually helped me when I came back to be able to, you know, I was literally suicidal three months prior. Then I started jumping out of airplanes and I went back to what, what got me hurt. It was, it was great. And the fact that I can still do it is, is amazing. I was turning 14, 15 hour days with body armor on doing 10, 12 miles at, and shit, I'm 48 years old. That was the best thing is after the injuries, when you get back around the guys and it just, and, and eventually you work your way back to the place where, where you kind of got hurt and you, you work your way through it you revisit it. And you, especially when you got your guys with you, because a lot of times you feel alone when you go through a situation like that, especially on the back end, if no one else got hurt in the same situation. But when you go back in it with the guys and you and you start going back to your routine, it does. It it kind of reconstitutes that whole memory in your head as a back to a learning environment as a, something that was like a punishment. Yeah, I'm not quite getting back on the horse. I mean, I'd like to be number one going through a door again, but like a real one. That's time uh, for the next generation. You always yeah. question it. Remember when, when our wars kicked off, the Vietnam guys like, hey, we're coming in, man. We're going <laughs> to... We got this one. Well, see, that's 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 another way to build resilience, and and uh, I think I even did it myself. But I recognize guys in the SEAL teams. They say, "Well, I'm not scared to do this," and I'm like, "Well, you know, I think that's bullshit. That's what makes what I think makes soft operators different, or just people in general that have the ability to know that something scares them, then they just do it anyway. It doesn't lock them up. So fear's either going to lock you up, or it's going to, you know, it's going to tighten you up. I'm not saying going out and do do ridiculous shit every day, but it's, it's good to do stuff that scares you because it, if it scares you, that means it's, that's a, just a tiny bit past what your comfort level is. And that's how you build resilience. You just get out of your comfort level a little bit. Absolutely. 
if your normal life is sitting around on the couch and playing video games, eating bonbons, then that could just be a walk. You know, you don't have to beat the hell out of yourself to build resilience. You just have to be aware enough to know where your comfort level is and just push it a little bit. Yeah, and it so, leads yeah. it leads to that. I mean, we don't start with just that yeah. major thing. That's just one you hear about. Everyone's you got to start the path, kind of one step at a time. And just like you said, man, you show us yeah. what you're afraid of, and we'll show you what you're made of. It's your the fear is the fuel for your willpower. And if you see something that gives you the heebie-jeebies, you're looking at it, just means you're not trained for it. You start stepping into it, just step piece by piece, inch by inch. And eventually, you you're the one that becomes proficient at it. And then people are looking at you, going, "Hey, man, how'd you learn how to do that?" And, well, I just kind of did the same thing you're doing right now. I showed up and watched the guy ahead of me and picked it up. That's probably the most important thing to do, right there, is what you just said: is show up. Yep. Yeah, show up. People, are, you know, how do you get respect? How do you get to where? You... All right, first step, kind of always leave this out: is just show up. If you see something you want to do and it gives you the to show up around the people that are doing it. And on time, right? Show up on time. Start with that. That's how you get respect from people is if you just show show up on time. And then you'll start to integrate into it. Not all at once, but step by step. And then you just kind of pick up the little tidbits. I mean, by default, if you're not the best person in the room and you're around a bunch of people who are good at it, you just pick up the tidbits. I also look at that more general. I mean, just to me, showing up just means, you know, arrive on the scene. Be aware enough to know what has to be worked on. That alone right there is something that a lot of people won't ever get to because everything's always bad happening to them. You know, <laughs> quite honestly, it's, it's, it's easier to say everything is your, your fault. Everything, everything that's a problem in your life is your fault because if you want to blame somebody else, that means you're a victim and you're waiting for that person to, or the perpetrator to come fix it. And that's not going to happen. No, it's not. Thanks, man. Yeah, we're, we'll wrap it up now. Sure appreciate you telling your story. I mean, it's an emotional one. Thanks for getting through it with us and sharing all that. We love you. Love you guys, too. Yeah, no matter. Hey, I, that tough road you had hope, but always know that just sheer fact that you went through that and made it through it, that you, you, you help people just by standing around them. I mean, you may not look at it like a big deal, but the rest of us do. Me, Mojo, and, and all the team guys, when, when your name, when they, when we speak of your name, is with a reverence, man, because you took all that for us, and then you got back up. And not, don't look at it like you, you went through it, man. You, you took it for kind of for us, took that pain, and it's, uh, it's something. It's, a, it's, that, it's what guys, the younger guys coming in after us, they hear those stories. I mean, even if you don't tell them, the guys around you do. Thanks again, brother, for everything. Be good. Get out there and drink a beer and finish that yard. Yep. Well, I mean, you're lucky you didn't die in a helicopter crash. Eh, whatever. <laughs> yeah, we've all had some. Marcus likes to roll down hills, and he didn't die. <laughs> there are times I, I think I might have. They had three of us had to get together, go on tour, and go, don't do this. But if you do, if you oh. find yourself in this situation, you can, you'll end up like us. Positive mental attitude. Never quit. Well, I'll probably see you guys here in the next couple of months. I'll probably be driving through Texas here soon. Come on. Well, come on. We got a room for you. Yeah, we got a room. Doors open. All right, man. Great hearing from you guys. Thanks for having me on. Yep. Out. Later. Later, bro. You know, uh, ever since I've known Mike, he's always, his heart's as big around his estate. Anything and everything he's been through, he cares more about the well-being of everyone around him than he does himself, which is remarkable. But, I mean, it can be sad, too, because sometimes when you shoulder that weight, 
it just eats you up from the inside. But he does well. Like the long suffering puts himself in them crazy situations just so he can have the uh, just the advice and the moral clarity to to relate. And to exist in that all the time, and it takes a special type of person. And what you've been through, brother man, don't ever discount that. I know you said it just another day. I don't know where you came from. He's one of those you. guys that, you know, you ever hear about those guys like, man, I just bad luck follows me around? It may be him. That's the guy. I'm glad he shared that with us, too, because, I mean, he, he got emotional while he was talking to us. And it's been 2007 since this happened. Well, man, you can well, think about it when we're in. 12 years ago, and it still gets into his guts. Uh, you know, I mean, you think about it differently when you're out now. Now we're just buddies. It's not, there's that mindset when you're in and that happens. That's like a qual. Man, she took that and that, that motivates you and drives you. And then when you get out and you, you get the family and all that, then you realize something like that happened to them. Then you, then you understand that the bad part of it. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense, but it's kind of like, oh, you, you see it differently. So, brother, man, just keep your head up, bro. And always know that people look to you as kind of that pillar of motivation of what the human condition can take. Physically and mentally. So don't ever, I know you don't like to give advice or you really don't have to. Just be you. With words, yeah, man. You just be you. Thanks, brother. We love you. We're out. <laughs>